Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 17 of season two of This Osteopathic Life. We've come through a triple pivot in the past three episodes, and today I'd like to talk about awareness and how this came to my attention and intention here was also through the idea of blind spots. And certainly in 2020, there have been a lot of indications and alludances to vision. And I've had many of them. I haven't written many down. I started a blog and it didn't feel quite right. But today, in reflection of the past few weeks and this past week, and especially Friday, June 19th, Juneteenth, the commemoration of the Emancipation Proclamation reaching the slaves in Texas who had not yet heard of it and finally achieving freedom at that stage, at that time, and seeing what that means then and now and this call to action that I have felt, that I have heard, and that I am sharing, proclaiming, declaring, relaying to you here is this need for a deeper awareness of ourselves, particularly of our thoughts. And how I see that happening is by considering our blind spots. And by that, I mean taking the time to first accept that there are probably thoughts that we have, have had, are having, even if they're fleeting, that contribute to some of the pain and prejudice and difficulty of racism that continues in this country and beyond this country today. And so many of the discussions that I have been involved in directly or observed otherwise have really demonstrated that even in the best circumstance and the best intention, there is an oversight of the possibility, even just the sliver of the possibility, that each and every one of us has some part to play in this process of eradicating racism as a chronic disease it is, as it impacts public health, as it impacts the black community and the black indigenous people of color community so significantly. And it will limit us from making the necessary forward progress as it has these last 400 years. 
And how does this relate to this osteopathic life? And as I said in the last episode, very directly, because if we're talking about the health of all things, the health of all things means the health of everyone. And until the health of everyone is achieved through true and complete freedom and access to resources and equal opportunities and reparations made for the oppression that has been sustained for so many years, it's simply impossible to truly achieve health for everyone to its most complete and pure level. And as I've stated in previous episodes regarding the practice of osteopathic medicine and how I approach it, it's not necessarily about the quick fix or making a change even, especially on those initial visits when it's really about hearing the patient's story. You know, the patient might come in with a particular complaint, the reason that they're coming to the office, and that might be all that they're there for. And it might be simple and straightforward. But I would say more often, it's deeper than that. And it's more complex than that. And in the telling of their story and getting further details, much is revealed that they might not even have been aware of as a contributing factor to the health problem that they are having. And as I often see patients when they've done a lot of things to try to get themselves better, to get back to the fullest expression of health, when I'm meeting with them and hearing their story and these seemingly discrepant or even you know unrelated thoughts or experiences or events in their lives come up and we're able to make a connection and see how they're actually contributing to the ongoing difficulties they have. And in my clinic, oftentimes it's for pain. And by addressing that, they're able to actually make the shift that they need to move toward their fuller expression of health. For example, someone has back pain and they might be stretching a muscle, they recognize they're weaker on one side and they do some strengthening exercises and they've you know, had therapy and they're doing certain workouts and they're just not getting better. And they're addressing something that might be contributing. But when they come and see me, we talk about a surgery that happened about a year prior to the onset of their pain. And we look at you know, the nerves that are related to that area and how the incision in their skin can actually facilitate the muscles in that part of their back. And so stretching it isn't necessarily the only way through. And we need to get down into the nervous system to make a difference. And we recognize that at the same time, they lost a parent near to that surgery and their body kind of embedded this memory of that traumatic emotional experience with this physical one. And when they have memories and sadness that come up about their parent, it actually taps into this area of the nervous system. And so until there's awareness of all of that, all of that body, mind, spirit component, which is all one, all part of the whole, but we can tap into it in different ways. We have different access points. There can't truly be a significant difference made in the pain. It's not going to achieve the outcome they desire to simply stretch the muscle. Is the muscle involved? Sure. But that's not the end-all be-all of what's contributing to their pain. And the same is true when we think about the cultural pain that we're experiencing right now 
and the cultural pain and limitations and oppression and violence that the black community, the black indigenous and people of color community has experienced for 400 years in this country and beyond across the world, we can't just solve it on the surface level. We can't just stretch simply the muscles of, oh, I don't see color and I don't have those thoughts, so I can't be part of the problem. Therefore, I'm not going to be part of the solution. We need to look deeper, get to the core of the story and find out how each and every one of us is contributing. Because until we do, until we expose all of those factors that are contributing to this collective suppression and oppression and continuation of the practices, because yes, there are policies in place that need to be changed and there are many initiatives underway and the work still needs to be done at that level and our civic duty to vote and complete the census and do the things that will make meaningful action at that level are important. But if we leave those pieces in place, those thoughts that are beyond our current awareness, that are in our blind spots, we will not make the revolutionary cultural change that we need to truly eradicate racism and the public health crisis that it presents in order to experience health in the whole of all people by acknowledging where we are contributing to the suppression of the black, indigenous, and people of color community. And so as I think about awareness, always going back to basics, and what is that most basic definition of awareness? Knowledge and understanding that something is happening or exists. And this week in particular, there has been this shift in awareness for many, and it can be surprising, but also not, that racism is still happening. Racism still exists. And the suppression and the oppression and the violence that happened as a result still exist 100% today. Are things better? Perhaps, but they're not back to that full expression and experience of health through true freedom, through equal access and opportunity, through adequate reparations for the oppression that has happened for generations, and through our awareness. So we're gaining on a much broader scale, the awareness that racism is happening and exists. Where the work remains on a significant level is gaining awareness of how racism and thoughts that contribute to the perseveration of racism exist in our own minds, in our thoughts, each and every individual. And raised in a white dominant culture, it is impossible to never have had a racist thought. Does that mean you have acted on them? Not necessarily, and not necessarily overtly, but potentially you know, in ways that you didn't see. Because if you don't know that you have these thoughts and you aren't aware of your biases, you won't even witness how you might be acting on them 
on a day-to-day basis. And it might be through the way you talk, the words you use, the way you engage with another person, simple responses that you have and how you react to someone based on their appearance. And there's been a lot of talk in the white community about not apologizing for the color of our skin. And to my understanding and awareness, no one is asking for that apology. But there is a request for an awareness of the color of our skin and an acknowledgement of the privilege that has brought us, whether we chose it or not, whether we think we have used it or not, we have benefited based on the constructs of society as it stands today because of the color of our skin. And we need not be apologetic, but we 100% have the responsibility to be aware. Just as we have the responsibility to be aware that because of the color of the skin in the black community and of individuals with brown and black skin, they have suffered the consequences of a society that has constructs of racism that are present on day-to-day interactions at the individual level and systemically at the policy level. And if we can take that moment to acknowledge and to be aware of both of those and then to stop and say, what thoughts could I possibly have had? Am I having? Do I have? Of which I have not been aware because we make assumptions even about ourselves. And in the book, Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad, S-A-A-D, which began as a 28-day Instagram challenge and has now become a book, but with 28 days or at least 28 somethings, doesn't have to be achieved over those many days, maybe longer, maybe shorter, of reflective questions to really draw out these thoughts. And I highly recommend you obtain this book. It's available on audiobook. Librio is a great resource for that, and you can support a Black-owned bookstore in your purchase. But taking the time to be honest with your thoughts, and it can be challenging, especially if you see yourself as an effective ally, as a person who doesn't operate based on bias. But especially then, we need to take the time to look and to listen to our thoughts and recognize where a shift might need to be made. To be aware means to be attentive and well-informed. And to be attentive and well-informed asks of us to not just know what we know and continue on, but to ask what we don't know and what it is that we might be missing and what information there is to be gained and how to move forward from that. Being able to sit with your thoughts can be challenging. And so giving yourself time and space to really hear them and allow them to come up and sit with the feelings that arise from the thoughts to name those feelings, especially if they're uncomfortable feelings that we don't want to spend time with, seeing what it can mean to just be there with that discomfort 
it might bring up some feelings of shame to have them. See why that is and see what it means to just recognize the thought and recognize that it doesn't mean you have to act on it, but that by looking there, by being willing to clear out some of those blind spots, you're going to make yourself a more effective ally than you might already be. And I thought about the commencement speech by David Foster Wallace. This is water. And tells the story of two fish. And one fish asks the other, how's the water? And the fish says, what's water? And in some ways, we can think about that as whiteness. And this might be a challenging question, but I pose it to you anyway, because this is a time of accepting challenge for growth, accepting that discomfort is where we make real change, where the work is really done. Because rarely have landmark, world-changing, revolutionary concepts, ideas, changes happened in a place of comfort, right? We don't just stay where we are, do what we've done, and get amazingly different results. We push ourselves to ask different questions and look at things different ways. So I challenge to you, as a white person, to fellow white people who are listening, how is your whiteness? And the hardest part of that is that so often we aren't faced with it. And I think that's been a big part of this challenge for individuals this past week as it's being mirrored to us, shown to us in so many different ways. Where generally our life isn't impacted in an obvious way by the color of our skin. It's made easier by it and we gain access in a lot of ways because of it, but not in a tremendously obvious way. It's just happening right? And especially if we live in areas that are white dominant, you know, there's really not an obvious question around it or acknowledgement of it. But what if we said today, how is your whiteness? And thought about what comes up for us when we think that. And we could choose what to think about it. And there is this tendency to think that that means we should be ashamed or apologetic. But I would challenge again that it really means that we should just be aware and to be aware of what it might be like to be faced every day with the color of your skin as a major reason for how you are going through life and the decisions you have to make and the way you are faced with law enforcement and job opportunities and interaction with the healthcare system, with the education system, and to know every moment of every day that it's impacting your experience of life. And step into that willingness to be aware, to sweep out, those blind spots and to just gain a deeper sense of what it can mean to be faced with the color of your skin as a factor 
of how you interact with the world and how you experience life. And to ask what it might be like for that to be a source of limitation and fear, fear for yourself, fear for your children, to know that it's decreasing your pay and increasing the likelihood that your family members will be incarcerated inappropriately and life expectancy will drop because of the social constructs, right? Not actually because of the color of your skin, but because of what the social constructs have made the color of your skin mean and how the other members of society have agreed consciously or subconsciously to engage in those social contracts and constructs. And so we have the power to see our thoughts. And even if we just did that, I would wager that there would be a massive shift in the public consciousness and how we begin to interact and engage. If we choose to change our thoughts and every day commit to seeing them and choosing them more intentionally, that would be the revolution we've been waiting for. And in that commencement speech, thinking about water, talks about those cliches, which I use quite frequently in education, thinking about my children, about myself, about my patients as they're being educated about health, not learning what to know, but how to think and choosing how to think, what you think, why you think it, and what those thoughts can actually do in your life. And he notes in his talk, it means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to and to choose how you construct meaning from experience. It is about the real value of a real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness, awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over. And maybe this isn't specifically what he was talking about, but if we take that directive so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over. If we think about that regarding race, regarding whiteness, regarding how we have used color as a construct to suppress certain populations and elevate others, it has become so much a part of the normal way of life, not acceptable, not appropriate, but typical, normal right now, that we have to work harder to remind ourselves over and over that hidden in plain sight, as we've seen so many people are so surprised that here we are, that this is still happening because it's been hidden in plain sight all around us. And again, I'm speaking primarily to fellow white people as a white person, because black indigenous people of color have seen very clearly that this is what's happening. So that awareness is on us for ourselves and to help each other to see it, right? Be mirrors of what is happening in an encouraging way, 
in a way that's gaining awareness that leads to true allyship, which again is a practice, right? We don't arrive. The expectation is not perfect, but the expectation is to keep showing up and to keep offering what we can to make the change always beginning with ourselves. David Foster Wallace notes, it is unimaginably hard to do this, to stay conscious and alive in the adult world day in and day out. So let's not pretend it's easy. Let's not expect this to just happen. You know, to try a couple times and then every day we're just, we're good to go and we have managed this. No, it's work. But it is good and true and meaningful work and necessary work. It is work overdue. So there is a bit of a backlog here and you know what it's like to catch up? You know, when you've let your assignments go and you had this big project and you're supposed to do a little bit every day. And right now we have 400 years to make up for. But one person doesn't have to take it all on. If we each take a part, you know, of exposing our blind spots, of gaining deeper awareness, we're going to start to peel back those layers in a more meaningful way. And yes, contribute to those big surface level actions of policy and change in that direction. But don't let go of that baseline core individual work. And what does this mean for the health? So let's imagine, for example, for that patient, if he then noted when that back pain arose and did a check-in to say, how was I feeling that day? Was I having some thoughts about the loss of my parent? Thinking about the scar, looking at the timeline as it related to his surgery. By being able to address it on a deeper level, he can lessen the pain just by acknowledging it and acknowledging all that can contribute to it. And maybe it doesn't all go away right then and there, but it gives a greater power over it because he is seeing all possible contributors. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. There are five different things contributing to my pain, but it can also be an opportunity. Here are five opportunities I have to make a difference in my pain. And so if we apply that to our population right now and see that health is being obstructed because of racism and the practices and policies and the individual engagement with it that continues to this day. And instead of just seeing the overwhelm, seeing the opportunity that every person in this country, on this planet, can contribute to the improvement by gaining awareness of thought. Even that step, even just that shift in awareness, just picture that. Close your eyes and picture on that global scale. If everyone took that moment to say, how is whiteness impacting my life? What thoughts am I having as a result? Where might I be contributing? Where can I make a shift if I should choose? But even just that where, why, how, what would be so powerful. And then say they 
we did make a choice. Maybe 10% of the people willing to take the step into awareness took a further step into change, choosing thoughts with different intention, knowing that they're going to generate a feeling that creates different actions that can actually lead to a different result than what we've had for these four centuries. What that could mean for the health in the black community, in the greater community, because we are all part of the whole, yes. But when that part is not well, the whole cannot be well. And we can't just make the whole well and ignore the part. So we are called to do both. And if that happened, imagine what experience of health we could have on the broader scale, how that would expand out into the various systems, into the environment, into the health of the world. Because even on that subconscious level, if there's that harboring of thoughts that carry suppression and oppression and potential violence, think about when you have feelings and you try to push them down, you try to suppress them, Or maybe you're not even aware of them, but you're having lots of anxiety and fear and anger and judgment internally, just of yourself, how that can manifest as illness, right? It can give you ulcers. It can lead to inflammation that creates heart disease and heart attacks and strokes. So think about how harboring those thoughts, unaware in our collective society is eroding our surfaces, our systems like an ulcer. It's creating inflammation through micro and overt aggressions and leading to you know, these cardiac arrests, these broken hearts and stopped hearts and strokes where that central functioning can't happen anymore. You know, we've overwhelmed the system. And so just like when you address those feelings in yourself, you can start to undo some of those systemic effects internally of your own personal health. And if we start to address them and see them collectively, we can start to take away some of that erosion and the inflammation that comes with hatred and anger and judgment and reduce the risk of these heart attacks of our society and these strokes where our central functioning can no longer work. And so it's big work, but it's not impossible work. It's repeated work, but it's manageable. And it's what we are called to do. It's overdue. So let's make our way through that backlog and refuse to keep blind spots and accept that it's not about apologies or feeling ashamed, but it's about awareness and acknowledgement and taking up the responsibility with which we are tasked as citizens of the world in order to create a space 
where we can all experience that fully, freely, and truly contribute to the health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Vicky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.